0: Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. This edition of the PK Podcast was supported by Essent. As the leading provider of business management and commerce solutions in the promotional products industry, Essent makes managing a promotional products business easier. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you are a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, CEO of SKU and right Sleeve. We have a very special episode planned for you today as we speak to one of the most compelling content creators in our industry, Kirby Hassman. Kirby is the founder and president of Hossaman Marketing and Communications located in Coshocton, Ohio, a town which has played a seminal role in the birth of the promotional products industry, but more on that later. Kirby has been in the promotional products business for over 15 years. Not content to just sell pens and calendars, Kirby has created a dynamic marketing agency with speaking, consulting, and video production at its core. This has helped Kirby differentiate himself from the scores of other distributors in the industry. Kirby is also a published author, having written three books in his career. His most recent book about the power of promotional products, titled Delivering Marketing Joy, just hit the shelves this past April and is doing very well by all accounts. Today, we've pinned down Kirby for this podcast so he can share some of his secrets to his success. Mr. Kirby Hossiman, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Wow. Mr. Mark Graham, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's, uh, it's amazing to have you on here. It's certainly long overdue for one of the legends of the industry. So K- Kirby, as yeah. I mentioned in the introduction, Coshocton, Ohio is a place that a lot of people probably don't know about, but you told me that it was the birthplace of promotional products. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Coshocton, Ohio is actually in many circles within our industry known as the cradle of the industry. The first technical promotional product in our country was printed there. It was actually by a newspaper printer, a guy named Jasper Meek. He was looking, like many entrepreneurs do, for you know new opportunities to create revenue. So he convinced his buddy, who owned Cantwell Shoes, to print, buy Cantwell Shoes on school bags. Hmm. The funny thing is, you know, I actually spoke with a local group here, and it's interesting because, you know, it's really, he did it for the same reason that we do it today. You know, he wanted to increase brand recognition. He wanted to drive traffic to the store. And after that, it kind of took off here in our little town of, you know, 11,000, 12,000 people. Amazing. And at one point, it really got big here to the point where legend has it. There were more artists here in Coshocton, Ohio, than any other place essentially east of the Mississippi other than Chicago and New York. Hmm. So there was multiple, multiple places here in Coshocton that printed everything from calendars to, you know, the Coca-Cola tins to anything like that. So, yeah, first place right here.
0: Wow. And, you know, that was, what, over 100 years ago? Is that right?
1: Yeah, it was late, I want to say 1896, 1890.
0: Don't quote me on that, but it was in that neighborhood. Wow. That's unbelievable. So I know your company has not been around for 100 years, but of course you, you guys have been around for, what, a little over 15 years. And you know I'm always interested, Kirby, to understand how people get into this industry. And I think your story is particularly interesting. And what I wanted to ask you was not only how you got into the industry, but how you came up with this concept for this marketing agency that ultimately became Hassan Marketing and Communications.
1: Yeah, okay. I guess it's interesting because... I've been around this industry since it's literally as long as I can remember. Right. My father worked for Shaw Barton, was here, and actually had ties to Jasper Meek and all that sort of thing, had been around our community for a long time, and then he was inside then became a salesperson. Then he became a manager. My mom became a salesperson. Hmm. Then uh, they actually went with another distributor in North Carolina, at which point my fiancé at the time became a salesperson. Really? <laughs> yeah. And so and I still had not, and I went about my business, and then one day, I kept looking at what my now wife is doing, and I'm like, man, when she works harder, she makes more money, Yeah. <laughs> and when I work harder, I just work harder. I was with another company, and so I had a salary. I had all these great benefits, and one day, I walked into them and said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I jumped into sales in for what was then JII, and so Long story short, we ended up doing that for a while. I was with Halo Lee Wayne. Now, just Halo and amicably split with them to kind of step out because I felt like I wanted to take this journey and see what I could do on my own.
0: Hmm, Interesting. and. I'm always curious about those transitions because, of course, in the industry, there's a very compelling value proposition for aligning yourself with one of the larger companies that will help with the back end and with financing. But I'm always curious as to why people make those decisions to go out on their own where they end up managing the entire flow and taking more of that entrepreneurial route What factored into that decision for you, Kirby? Because I think there's a lot of people who are listening to the podcast that I think are struggling with that choice. Like, do they go out on their own and build equity in their own company and hire staff and go and and manage things through that route? Or do they go and become more of a rep where they align themselves with a larger company to go and handle a lot of that busy work that maybe some people don't want to handle?
1: Right. It's a tough decision, candidly. You know, I was a salesperson in the industry for a long time and you know it's one of those things as a salesperson you're like oh i could do that i could do this on my own yeah and you know many people can but candidly as you know a lot of the skills that make you successful as a salesperson do not necessarily translate into making you a successful business person yeah you know in the book Myth*, he talks a lot about this you know somebody who is a a carpenter yeah you know they're like they want to go swing a hammer on their own and then they realize oh Crap! I've got to do invoicing. I've got to do management of the host staff. That's not the skill set that they had, and I yep. think it's a really difficult thing. And candidly, I planned and thought about it for more than a year. Yep. I actually invested into software. I did a bunch of stuff while I was doing my thing with uh, the time we mm-hmm. went, and it, it's just something I really, since I was a little kid, wanted to own my own business. Yeah, yeah. And so it was something I was driven to, and so I spent a lot of time trying to get myself ready. And I hear other salespeople say, oh, yeah, I could do that. Most of the time, I think, eh, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Because, yeah. you know, there is a level of detail-oriented skill set that yep. either, a lot of salespeople, that's just not their personality. Yeah. And so you either need to plan on hiring somebody who's really good at that or you better get a lot better at it yourself. Yeah. I decided to hire for that because yeah. that's, that's not my strength. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough decision to make that leap and there's a lot of large distributors who do a great job of that for you. So. Yep. I'm not at all, like, when I say I amicably split, it's true. I mean, I see folks from there all the time. I think, yeah, you know, they're a great company, so.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, this might be a, a tough question, but I, I think for someone like you, I think you'll be able to handle it. For the people that are listening to this podcast that are, are looking at either a sales career or an entrepreneurial career, and you're someone who has, has been in both. What do you mm-hmm. think is the like one or two most defining traits that someone has to have in order to be successful as an entrepreneur in this business, as distinct from being a salesperson?
1: Well, that is a good question. Okay, so one of the things that I think is if you want to be in this industry, if you want to be in sales, yep. you better be a little bit entrepreneurial Sure, or, or you won't be successful at all. Of course. So, so I think that's a piece. And, and one of the things that I have found, and, and it's one of those—it's t- taken me a while to, you know, as I look for salespeople, about one of the skills that I think is took me a while to understand. And then I think once I kind of got my arms around it, it's even hard to describe. There has to be a real competitive spirit. Yeah. One of the things I found is that whether you're an entrepreneur or a salesperson, if you aren't competitive, if you don't want to see your name at the top of the list, then you won't. Yeah. <laughs> ever. Yep see your name at the top of the list. and then, yep. So I actually think it's a pretty similar skill set in the sense that I think people who are great salespeople can be great entrepreneurs, yep. but then I think the, the, the piece that goes after that is that you have to be a little bit more strategical. So yep. in other words, like as a salesperson, if, if you are dogged in your determination you'll be successful in sales because it's like the people who are great get up every day regardless of whether they're being kicked in the teeth the day before. Yep. And th- those are great salespeople or often are. Uh, to, to make the switch to entrepreneurial, I think you have to have a little bit more vision. So after three days of getting kicked in the teeth, you start, you look at it 10,000 feet Yep. and say, okay, but why am I getting kicked in the teeth? What can I change about my strategy? Yep. So if that makes any sense, I think you have to have a visionary sense and then also, I guess the last piece is be introspective enough to understand what you're good at yep. and what you're not good at yep. so that you can go, okay, I need to hire somebody to do that because yep. I suck at that.
0: Yeah, it's a great answer and, and a great one for not having been prepared <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to give it. And, and I absolutely agree. And I think it's actually a great segue, Kirby, to the conversation that I wanted to have with you about sales because I know you're a great sales guy and you've translated that into great success in your business. And one of the things that you have spoken a lot about in your video blogs, which we'll get to in in just a moment, is this whole idea about selling at the expense of serving, or put another way, serving over selling. I'm interested in this concept. So, so for those that have no idea what I'm about to say here, Kirby, you, you have uh, written about it not only in your book, but you've also talked a lot about uh, this in your video blogs. This idea of how successful salespeople these days tend to be the ones that are more helpful. There's a focus on service, a focus on listening, and less on that classic sales 101, like drive it down the customer's throat, follow up with them 19 times a day to just go and get that order. Right. Do you want to expand on that a little bit for those people that would like to learn a little bit more about this concept of, of how you've built your sales portfolio by really focusing on the serving mentality as opposed to classic Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross kind of sales approach? <laughs> Which is, you know, that's fun too. Uh, no, I, <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll be the first to say it's evolved, right? So when I first yeah. got into sales, I was very much about getting the order that day. Yep. As a matter of fact, I have a great deal of admiration for the people who are like, one of my favorite stories in the industry was a guy who was a teacher. Yep. He quit teaching and went into this straight commission sales job, and his wife was like, what are you doing? He said, I will not fail at this. Hmm. And so he legendarily, for the first two years of sales, wouldn't come home until he sold something that day. Yep. And so he said one time he didn't get home until like 10 o'clock at night until he, he sold an order of pens to a bar. Hmm. So he wouldn't go home until he sold something and so i do admire that that being said i you know i talk about it sort of as the give first economy and i think that if what you want to do is create a you know a 10-year customer i think these days you know customers have gotten so much smarter and they can do their own research and so if you are just trying to sell them that order that day that's become even easier and easier to sniff out and people are more and more turned off by that they don't want to be sold they want to be helped And the thing is, is I think that that creates a much more long-term relationship. My guess is, Mark, you've done this too, where somebody will be like, well, I'll give you an example in my video business. So we'll even take it out of the promo side, right? People come to me all the time and they're like, hey, I want a 15-minute video about my company. Yeah. Now, I will tell you, I make uh, (laughs) a bunch of money on a 15-minute video. Yeah. But the first words out of my mouth are, no, you don't. Yep. You do not want a 15-minute video, not if you want anyone other than your mom to watch it. Yeah, and so you, you essentially are downselling them. But you know, one of my philosophies is always, you know, what if I if I take good care of you, you'll call me back. Yep. And you're creating the 10-year sale. Yeah. 10 10-year 10 and 20-year value, and so to get all that, I think you know, in today's economy, you really need to provide value first. Yep. And that's what those video blogs are all about. It's what you know, from my perspective, when we do emails which I was working on this morning, I don't really sell a lot of products. I don't try to sell a lot of products in the email. I provide value. Mm. I answer questions. I give tips. I, even if I didn't write it, you know, I think that then, you know, in the long-term relationship, when the client does need something or they're like, I don't really even know what I need, but I need help, they think of you as the expert because all you've done is provide them value. Yep. And I think the rule of reciprocity kicks in. But then I think it's just as simple as, hey, this person is the expert. <laughs> if for no other reason, he's told me so yep. for the last three years. And so when I do need help, I'm going to go to him or her because yep. that, who has provided me value, has given me insight, and has answered my questions all these times, and I haven't done any business. That's who I trust. Quite frankly, the best part is that's who I owe.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. Bobby and I were speaking with Jordy Gamson, who's the CEO of the Icebox, a distributor in Atlanta, uh, a couple weeks ago. And one of the things that he said about success for a salesperson in this business is it really comes down to whether you're trustworthy. And it was a very simple comment that he made, but it was very powerful when you think about it that it doesn't really matter if you know the difference between this pen and that pen. And it doesn't really matter if you know the latest and greatest suppliers. It doesn't really matter about any of that stuff if you don't have that trusting nature where your clients feel that you have their best interests in mind. And I think that that complements nicely what you're just saying.
1: Well, at the end of the day, you can have all the product knowledge or supplier knowledge, industry knowledge in the world, but they're not listening. Yeah. Because you don't get to that and make that next step unless you're trustworthy. So
0: that's that's a great point. Well, and I think it's interesting. You know, as I I reflect on my time in in this industry and reflect on the people that I've had the chance to work with at my company, that on one level, it's not surprising that people that are new in sales take that short route because – it, I don't know if you agree with this, but at least from my experience, it takes longer to build a book of business if you're serving first and selling second. Oh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. And, What's ironic is that if you've got a salesperson and they're trying to meet their monthly quota or whatever the case may be, on one hand, you want them to meet their number. But on the other hand, you want to make sure that they're doing it in a way that is conscientious and respectful and is very much focused on the long term. And I think that there's a tension between those two things, particularly for if there's someone that's new to the industry that's listening to this podcast they might be saying, well, that's great for you, Mark and kirby to be talking about this but i'm six months into my career and i just need to go and land a pen order here like (laughs) (laughs) what do i do
1: for dinner i gotta pay for dinner i totally get
0: it so i I mean and and i know you've employed a number of people over the years what what would you say kirby to someone that challenged you with that very dilemma
1: well a couple things i think if you're coming into our industry I, i I don't want to feel like I'm patting myself on the back, but one of the things I'd say is with new prospective salespeople, I'm almost honest to a fault yep. with them because yep. I think their expectations are so important yeah. to know that, look, this is just like starting a business. It's hard, especially in the first 12 to 18 months. Yep. You need to be prepared to not go hungry, but to <laughs> be really hungry, to struggle, quite frankly, yep. the first 12 to 18 months. And if you do, and you do this, and, you do you know, we walk through kind of specific things. After six months, you'll see, oh, okay, it's starting to uptick. And after 12 months, you'll be like, hey, this is getting much better. After 18 months, you're like, you know what, I'm so glad I made this decision. Yep. This is the best. Yep. And so if you go into it and you're like, okay, I've got $15 in my checking account, and I'm going into straight commission sales, you are going to push yourself to make, you know, like I got to sell a pen order today whether they need it or not. Yeah. If you can go into it with at least a little preparation and better expectations of, of what you basically, a savings account or whatever, something so that you can say, look, I'm going to do this for the right reasons, I think that helps you sell in the right way. And now, it hits for that person who's six months in and they're like, well, I, where were you six months ago? To tell me that. That's fine. But I'd say at that point, then it's about being patient to the point where you say, okay, this is one of those where you start talking goal setting, right? Yep. You're like, okay, well, then how much do you want to sell? And how do you want to sell? And then you say, okay, how many people do I need to contact without being annoying, without being that guy, to actually close an order a day, an order a week, or whatever you need to survive in that short term, and then go, you know, really what you have to do then is out-hustle everybody. And and so I think you can out-hustle everybody, God knows I try, without being, you know, I, I still think it's one of those things where if a person, you believe they need a promotional item to promote their business, you are trying to help them. I think there is that fine line, and I think you're right about there being a tension between it. It's one of those that it has to do with integrity and moral compass and saying, look, I'm not trying to shove it down their throat because I need it. I'm trying to be persuasive because they need it.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it. I think that certainly the best salespeople that have interacted with me, whether they're in the promotional products industry or just... Vendors that we buy from in the industry or even outside the industry, I think that the best salespeople are those that you a that you trust them, but b that they've got a little bit of a get up and go that they want to make sure that you're in the right solution and that they follow up in a way that shows that they're listening to you. Right? If, if you've yeah. said,
1: right. "Hey,
0: listen, I have no ability to even digest this sales proposal for 30 days." then if you call me in three days, then that's (laughs) going to annoy me, right? But if you call me in 30 days, then that's actually what I want because, you know, you need to babysit me a little bit. Anyways, I I think it's fascinating, but I, I, I want to switch gears a little bit, Kirby, here to talk about what I think is a really cool part of your business and just sort of your life in general, which is your being an author. And when I first met you, I know that you were working on your book and I had the great fortune to read an advanced copy of Delivering Marketing Joy, but I had no idea that you had three books under your belt. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the book, but before we get into that, how do you balance your time as a family man, as an entrepreneur and as an author, because I, I can I can see how they complement one another. But at the end of the day, a lot of people who are in the promotional products business are out selling and hiring, but not writing books. So how do you how did you get into that?
1: Yeah, you know, you know how you and I were talking about marathons and stuff, right? Yep. Or before we got on here and fitness, and so I like to run, and you know, I think it's just for me. I am passionate about things in short bursts. Yep. Okay, what I mean by that, in short bursts doesn't mean a day, obviously, but so I really wanted to run a marathon. So it's funny because I just decided in late July that I was going to run a marathon, and and then, you know, by October I was running one. And so that's kind of a short window to train for one. But the same is true for something like these books. So I won't feel like writing a book for a long time, and then all of a sudden I'll be like, you know what? I have a topic. I have an idea. I want to write a book. And so then in short bursts, you know, three, four, six months, whatever it is, then I just go, okay, this is my time for working on that in the evening or a lot of times in the morning when nobody's up and just becomes a focus. And quite frankly, the challenge is then I say, okay, well, now I'm not running for a while. But I can't let the business go. So I just kind of carve out maybe an hour a day to work on something like that. They, they're really good authors. You know, write a page a day. If yep. you write a page a day, you've written a 365 page book at the end of the year. So it is really about doing something a little bit every day and not trying to, you know. the old saying about eating an elephant. I eat an elephant one bite at a time. That's kind of how I focus on it.
0: And isn't that such an interesting thing to say? I mean, it makes such perfect sense, but if you then bring it back into the business context, I know that a lot of salespeople or even business owners will struggle with this idea of doing all the busy work at the expense of important work. And, you know, they'll sit there and say, oh, I've got way too many orders to process. or I've got too many people to call back or too many fires to fight. And and all of that is extremely, (laughs) extremely important stuff, right? You've got to get back to your customers. There's a problem. You need to be on it, right? But at the end of the day, if you're not out there prospecting or thinking bigger about your portfolio or about your business, then you're going to be dead in the water. And oftentimes the only amount of time that most salespeople or business people have to spend on that truly big picture strategic stuff is is probably an hour or two a day and the rest is spent running around, you know, dealing with the realities of your business. So that's interesting to hear you say that about writing a book and that, you spent an hour or so a day just kind of focused on that and then you got back to the day to day grind exactly. of running your business. Yeah.
1: And I know you're an early riser, you and I have talked about that. One of my favorites is Gary Vaynerchuk, he's yeah. a great author and speaker and, and I've heard Zezo talk about this, Dana Zezo talk about this at times. But people are like, I don't have time to do this, I don't have time to do social media, I don't have time to do this, I don't have time to write a book. Yep. You know, Vaynerchuk says at one point and he's he can be colorful in his language, so I won't yep. do that, but but he's like, Everybody has time stop freaking watching Lost. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and there's, there's real truth in that real simple statement. You know, we all have choices, and it's totally cool. If what you choose to do is watch American Idol, I'm great with that. Yep. But it, they're choices. Yep. And so, you know, a lot of times I'll just go, eh, I'm kind of interested in working on this book thing, and I'm willing to sacrifice some of that peripheral stuff in the short term yep. so that I can say, okay, I accomplished this and I'm going move on.
0: So for those that are not familiar with the book, Kirby, do you want to lay out the premise for the book, what it's about, who it's intended for, and then we can dig into some of the themes in just a second.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Delivering Marketing Joy is essentially about the idea that we are in a give-first economy, and we need to provide value to our clients. And one of the really important ways to do that is by using promotional products. And so I laid out... And, and my inspiration for this was that you know, there were a lot of voices around the world, around the country, kind of devaluing promotional products as an industry. Mm. And so this book is sort of a response to them to say, look, you know, first of all, if you are saying don't use promotional products or don't use swag, you're doing business owners and marketers a disservice because yep. there's a ton of studies and case studies out there that will prove that promo should be a part of your mix. And I I wanted to at least say, hey, here's why you should be using it. But then, as you know, I wanted to reach out to distributors and suppliers and include case studies so that our business owner can, can, if they're like, well, okay, I get it. I need to be using them. But how do I do it? The case studies are sort of a how. So I wanted to write a book that was like why people should be using promotional products and then how to do it. And I wanted it to be for the end user in our industry, and part of the reason I wanted other distributors to be a part of it is I wanted them to feel comfortable promoting the books because I want them to be able to walk in and, and hand this to a, a client and say, "You know all that stuff I've been telling you? Look here. Yep. Here's facts to back it up."
0: And I'm curious, as a sales and marketing tool, has this book and some of your previous books, which I think you've written for the same audience, has that become a great way for you to bring in business from end users? Well,
1: I tell you what, it really is. It's Actually, it's funny that you ask because just last week on Monday, I had a client who had done sporadic business with me contact me. They contacted me and they said, hey, I just read your book. I want to come in and meet with you. Okay. So they come and they're sitting across the desk Mm. and they've literally got my book in their hands while we're discussing their next promotional campaign. I will tell you, that's an easy sale. Yes. (laughs) They've come pre sold. Then it becomes not a matter of whether they should do it. It's a matter of what would be the best product or vehicle to make them successful. Yep. Yeah. That and that's a discussion I think we all like to have. Yeah. You're already pre sold, how can I help you the best? And I think that's what has helped me and I think will help others who utilize it that way.
0: Well, I think it brings me back to a great blog post that Bobby Leehew had written a couple of years ago called Content is the New Cold Call. We'll put a link up to it on promokitchen.com for for those people that haven't seen it. But it's it's a great post. And Bobby, of course, is a great blogger as well. And the idea that he was articulating in this post is that if you can set yourself up as a thought leader, as someone that knows what they're talking about, and whether it's through a book or a video blog or, or, or a regular blog or just even your uh, activities in social media, then that's bringing customers in from an inbound perspective. And Mm -hmm. they see you as someone who isn't just a guy selling pens and calendars, even if you do sell pens and calendars, but as someone that can perhaps use things like pens and calendars in a way that is really strategic and creative. And it's interesting to me, uh, someone in one of our podcasts uh, a a little while ago had, had said something that I agreed with when it came to customers. And I think that end customers... I think at their core, don't really want to go out and compare 10 distributors to each other. I mean, they're busy, right? Right. Unless it's the customer you really don't want that has more time than they know what to do with. Most customers don't really want to do that. And I think that there's nothing more exciting for an end customer when they can see someone that totally fits their... You know, their values and they're in sync and they can read their content and go, wow, this is a person I really want to work with. Then you're making their job easier. And then as you say, they're basically a customer, unless you do something to really screw it up. They want to work with you. They don't want to go out and RFP it because that's content that you've created on your own. So Bobby had a great post and that complements exactly what you just said. And I can see to compete against you would be very, very difficult with this content that you've created if I was just a guy selling pens and calendars and had, you know, a website with a cheaper price than yours. I, I think that, right. that would be, <laughs> I'd be dead in the water. Well, here's the
1: other thing, and I didn't say this earlier, but I think there's value to it. Like, I think that if you want to be that guy, right, you want to be the person that is the, you want to be the person someone comes to when they have a project or they want to promote something, you have to be willing to promote something other than yourself too. Yeah. And I think that provides great credibility. If you're willing to say, you know what, in this particular instance, I think a radio spot would work better for you.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know you've arrived as a real consultant when you do that. Yep. And then hopefully, and I think, again, it goes back to your point about serving the customer. And if you're willing to do that, you build trust that, you know, a person selling pens, just selling pens,
0: can't beat for sure, I think your story, Kirby, is very inspiring. As someone who was able to get up and you know early in the morning and write a page a day and and do all that stuff, and I, you've answered that question in terms of how you ultimately were able to put pen to paper. But for those people that are listening, that might be thinking after this podcast, like, "Hey, you know, I, I, I'd like to write a book or I'd like to do something similar to what Kirby did." Can you walk us through the process in terms of how you got published? Like. I'm sure some people might be thinking, well, do you have an agent? Did you have to go to New York and go and pitch a bunch of book publishers? And what was that process like? And what journey did you go on to get this thing printed?
1: As you mentioned, there are three books. The first one was a little bit more traditional in the sense that I kind of asked for somebody to pick me. Seth Godin talks a lot about this. One of the things I love about the world we live in today is you have the opportunity to choose yourself. Yep. And this book is a great example of that. I didn't wait for anybody else. I, it, Because I know the tools are out there, I decided to write the book first. Once I wrote the book, all I did, and this is, you can totally duplicate this today, is I went to a company called createspace.com. It's just createspace.com. Yep. It's owned by Amazon, and you can publish your own book. And I will tell you, I've done it both ways, and, and I think this is better because you actually have a physical book that they track, I think a much. I mean, like literally, uh, I can go on right now and tell you how many copies are sold in May, and then you can convert it to Kindle version for an ebook. They're both sold right on Amazon. All tracked. It's a really easy process. I mean, don't get me wrong. It took me you know a weekend to get it all right and upload it and the whole nine yards. But I think I told you this story. It blew my mind when I kind of got it the way I wanted it, and I wanted a proof, and it was a Sunday, and so you know I paid for the proof and. They said, do you want to have, you know, expedite, get it there. It was like $15 extra and I had yeah. it on Tuesday. And yeah. I actually had a physical copy of this book on Tuesday, which kind of blew my mind, you know, two days later, and, and I could go through it. And so the, the process of being published has become so much easier to pick yourself and yep. just do it. And then, you know, the tools of tracking it and stuff have, are just really awesome, too. So if you have the topic and you take the time to write it, there's never been an easier time
0: for yeah. something else. Well, and isn't it fascinating being a business person in this industry now in 2014 and you think about all the tools that you have available to you, not only in what you just said with CreateSpace with authoring your own book and publishing your own book, but then tools like LinkedIn and Facebook and the ability to blog and create this thought leadership for almost next to nothing. And in many cases, is totally free, whereas if you think right. of, you know, you were starting in this industry in 1984 as opposed to 2014, those tools didn't exist. And I think that some of the sales techniques that we've been talking about in this podcast, like sales versus serving or serving based sales or whatever, I think have existed for a long time, but the ability to easily reach a large audience and to differentiate yourself in a way now is, is I think very unique to this moment in time that we're living in. And what a great opportunity for those that get it. And, you know, we mentioned Dana Zezzo, who's been a master at this and has been yeah. able to go. And for those that don't know Dana, Dana, of course, is VP Sales and Marketing at Jetline, and he's also a fellow chef. He sells stress toys and used to sell towels, which are pretty basic products. But under Dana, he's been able to turn them into an event <laughs> through, through his thought leadership. And, you know, he could have just said, well, we'll go and create a catalog and go and blast them out for as cheap as possible. And, you know, there may be a component of that, but there, there's also this huge other element that he would have never been able to do in 1984
1: or 1994 well, for that matter. And it's you're 100% right. And here's the thing, and you know this to be true. The thing is there's a lot of people who sell stress toys, Yeah. right? But. I have a relationship with Dana, and so I tend to go to JetLine. I have tons of choices, but because he's done such a great job of developing relationships with us, I mean, you know, people around the country are like, oh, I want to do business with Dana because they know him. He's given them a piece into his life. We've seen his hotel views.
0: Yep. Yep. We have
1: seen him using products while he's camping, which is probably what he's doing right now. Yeah, <laughs> Um he is uh he has done a wonderful job and, and he's as you said, a leader in our industry in showing the way yep. to do this. Yep. And say, Hey, you don't have to be selling, by the way, all the yep. time. You don't have to be pushing. You can just go, Hey, here's a little glimpse into my life. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, and I think that, that over time and that takes you know, consistent action, but over time, you can do the same thing with your clients, you know, you share, like I shared on Facebook that I went for a run this morning, and, yeah. and I did it on Twitter and Facebook, and someone who I know in town that is working on their fitness level has tweeted me back and commented and da-da-da-da-da, yeah. well, you know what, we have a stronger connection because of that silly thing, you know, Of course. And so I think we have an opportunity, like you said, better than we've ever had to do that.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. And it's exciting because it's still relatively new and people are trying to figure it out. And those that have are the ones that are leaders at it. I will say, as we get into the tail end of this podcast, I want to make sure that for those people that are interested in reading Kirby's book, and I'm not just saying this because I I know you, but because I did have an opportunity to read the book and thought it was absolutely fantastic. And of course, this is coming from someone with distributor experience, that uh, I really do mean it. When I say that it it is required reading for a salesperson or an entrepreneur in this industry. And for those that want to get it, you can get it through Kindle or Amazon just by going into amazon.com and searching delivering marketing joy. So I have nothing to do with the book. I don't get commissions for it, but I just wanted to make sure that people knew about that and that it was something that I really believed in. So, So there you go. Kirby, we always like in these podcasts as we wind down to give our guest the final word, so to speak. And, well, I really look forward to doing another version of this because I think we've only scratched sort of the tip of the the iceberg here, so to speak, with you. But is is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with, Kirby, as we close down the podcast here?
1: I think that the message that has resonated the most with people once I started promoting this book is the idea of this give-first economy, okay? And, and I think that the people who've really got it are the ones who have the ability to kind of look at it from the customer side, right? You and I as customers don't, we get tired of all the push, 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 push marketing. Yep. But the people who connect with us and provide us value, we seek out. And I think there's a lesson there for us as salespeople, as business owners to, if you want to be successful in today's economy, whether it's through social media, whether it's through doing video, whatever, providing value first. Giving first provides you an opportunity to ask. And I think promotional products have the perfect vehicle for this because by its very nature, you are giving. So you give first. And I think that as you're creating your sales literature, as you are trying to build your business, I think if you provide the idea of providing value first to your prospects and customers, you're building a business that has long-term viability.
0: Well, I, I love that advice and I, I feel I, I almost feel like there's a little bit of irony with, with the industry that we're in because we are an industry full of so many cool, amazing products, and I feel I like got it sort of on the negative side that some people within the industry overlook the the value of what we're selling and the fact that this is something that can provide emotional connection with end customers and I, I feel that the true opportunity for growth in the business are, are for those people that really understand the value of what we're selling and can do it in a way where they themselves are not coming across as just transaction sellers. I think that they're, they're, there's just such an extraordinary opportunity. And, I, and I, I think as an industry, I'll kind of go out on a limb and say this, that I think as an industry, if all of us can get on the same page in selling products like how you just mentioned it, I think we as an industry have the ability to grow at a much faster clip than we are right now. And to be yeah. sure, a $20 billion industry growing at 3 4% a year is no slouch. But right. I certainly see the ability for this industry to continue growing and to grow at a faster rate if everyone is selling more strategically and creatively. So I know it's a tall task, but I think if anyone can inspire us, it's Kirby Haasman.
1: Oh, wow! There you go. Thanks a lot, Mark. I appreciate it. It's that. a
0: tall order, my friend.
1: Yeah, a tall order for a short guy, for sure.
0: <laughs> but uh, well, thank you so much, Kirby. This was, uh, I, as I say, we we probably could have been on here for uh, four hours just digging into a lot of the themes that you expressed. But uh, a real honor to have you on the show. Certainly long overdue, and and I really appreciate the time you sharing all of your tidbits and uh, helpful information with the Promo Kitchen community. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Mark. I really appreciate it. You have a wonderful day, my friend.